Courage to Hope with Tony LaGreca is a show supporting the fight for sobriety against substance abuse and changing the stigma that comes along with it. Tony's been helping families, friends, and loved ones discover recovery services as well as coping skills for over six years following the death of his own son to opioids. Join Tony and his guests each week as they reveal the courage to hope. Here's your host, Tony LaGreca. Thank you, Ben, and this is Tony LaGreca, and this is Courage to Hope. And tonight I have a very special guest, somebody I've known about for like six years, but I've never met until today. And this is Bob Hollis. Bob Hollis is from Plymouth, Massachusetts, and he has done some phenomenal work since the passing of his son. Welcome, Bob. Well, thank you, Tony. I'm glad to be here because I think it's our mission to really get the word out about this this crisis and, and what's needed to fight it. I'm glad to be here for that. Yes. So, Bob, can you give us a little history, if you don't mind, about your son and, and yeah. how you got started and what you're doing? I think that's very appropriate because uh, it isn't until you go through it that you realize how difficult this whole problem really is. Um, and basically, my talk has always been, you know, I give, I, I introduce the problem with addiction this way. I, I knew a, a young man. Um, Basically, he came from a very good family. Uh, he was never trouble going up. He was a good athlete. As a matter of fact, uh, he went into the commercial roofing union when he was young and right out, out of high school, had a great job and uh, doing very, very well, had everything going for him. But unfortunately, when he was in the union, uh, uh, they to, to work, to make money, they have to keep going. And there's a tendency if they get hurt, which, you know, it's hard work they get uh they get uh, they get injured whatever feel sore to keep going they start taking pills and unfortunately those pills later can become an addiction and which comes to heroin eventually because the pills are too expensive and so he was doing in and out uh, trying to recover it's a very difficult thing uh, but then at one point finally he had it he went two and a half years, and at which point, still doing very, very well in his job, was never a tr trouble. They always wanted him working there because he was the guy that when they went to work was the one that was positive and upbeat and, and working out all the time at the gym, then coming to work and getting everyone else going, uh, getting into all the, the vitamins and the, and the protein smoothies and all that kind of stuff. Great shape. He met a girl. They were talking about getting married in just a, a few months and um, talking about having kids. Had everything going for him in the world. It was only 30 years old until one time, one day, um, she got up. Uh, they had moved in together. She got up and went to the couch, and she found him on the couch dead. He had gone back after two and a half years of being cleaned one time, and it killed him. And it wasn't until I did his taxes about three or four months later, because uh, I'm talking about my son, is that. I realized he had already made through August, September, he had already made close to $100,000. So why am I saying this? Because it impacts everybody. It, no matter where you come from, no matter what your age, whether you're male or female, your occupation, where you grew up, color, whatever, uh, demographic, it impacts you all the same. No one's safe from it. So here's a kid that had everything going for him and actually was safe clean and sober for two and a half years. Why did he go back? Why did he go back? And it finally made me realize that this problem is much greater than anyone had been given credence to. That there's something that had, I, I knew him. And there's something that had a hold on him that even after two and a year, half years of being clean and sober, made him go back. And it killed him just one time. Fentanyl, big problem. Um, so after that, I did a lot of research. I realized, again, the society, we just don't realize what we're dealing with in many cases. We always have the thing, well, people, you know, if they put their mind to it, they can get over it. Uh, you know, the people who can't are just weak, whatever, we fault them. That's all incorrect. The more research I did, I found that this is very, very physical. Um, what happens in someone's brain chemistry when they're 
been exposed to opioids or alcohol and so forth. And the more research that was being done, the more I learned was it basically said it is a whole lot harder to deal with than people have given it credit for in the past. And that's the way we have to approach it. Um, a lot of the brain chemistry, basically dopamine level, for example, normal dopamine level for a person is about 150, maybe 200. Uh, when you take an opioid, basically that can go up to 750. But at the same time, after just using that opioid for a short amount of time and you take that opioid away, the brain shuts down during that time. It's natural production of dopamine and other type of brain chemicals. And so when you take the opioid away later, it's down to your dopamine level and these people are down around 50. That's a very easy thing for now to, for people to understand. That it's not just an environmental thing or a genetic thing. There is some predilection to it, but most of it is once it gets in there, it changes their body. These people are not the same person anymore. And I've had some of the people that we work with tell me, yeah, the heroin is the drug that lies to you in your own voice. And so when people have difficulties and, and they're at home and they're stealing and they're, they're lying, they're doing all these other things, they're not in control anymore. And so until we can get to a point where we're serious enough to say, hey, this is how serious it is. It's not going to take just going into uh, a, a detox place for 30 or 90 days and then coming out and being able to deal with it. Because, again, more research has gone on saying that on average, it takes about five years for that brain chemistry to come back to normal. That's just average because some people it never comes back. And so that, that just goes to the point of, well, maybe we, there's other things we need to do. That's why they have methadone and so forth. But on average, it's five years. So what does that mean? You go into uh, a detox place for 30, 90 days. You go out and they let you out all on your own. Um, you don't have a whole lot of chance because most people are just going to go back to those same places and people and work environments that they were before that triggered them to, 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 to use to begin with. And so what I found is that Massachusetts had already had success with a number of recovery centers uh, around the state. And that's when we decided we were going to uh, start one in Plymouth. And because what recovery centers are all about, it's a peer-to-peer -peer type of situation where people that are perhaps in sober houses, they've already been through the detox and they've already been through a program. It's a place they can come to and get that reinforcement day to day. It's not a medical thing. It's a place where they just come in. If they need a job, they help them get work. They build resumes. They have clothing. They have food. But the main thing is just being in touch day to day with other people who have gone through the same thing. And what they found is people in long-term recovery that still participate in the recovery centers can help out the short-term you know, people in recovery that are new. And that helps the people in long-term because they are helping someone, it gives them purpose, but it gives that person in, that's just new to it a chance, which they hadn't had before. Um, so the recovery center we started in Plymouth, they have a great deal of opportunities uh, and people that are paid counselors that are all in recovery themselves, by the way. And there's a number of people that come in as volunteers and do the same thing. So they have a lot of uh, programs. So in a nutshell, that's what we're looking to do. We're trying to give people that chance that my son, that your son didn't have, um, that recognizes how big the problem is, recognizes it's a very long-term thing that you have to deal with and gives them the opportunity to do so. Um, so that's where we are. Now they say, say the opioids is the drug that robs the brain. And yes. That's, you've just kind of outlined that quite nicely because when you drop yeah. down to the 50 on the dopamine, then, yeah. you know, they, that's when they get into deep depression and uh, Absolutely. Things, that's things, like, things happen and that's when they need this kind yeah. of support. That's um, they, my son used to call it the monster in his brain. It's the monster and other people will say it that way. And it's uh, people that don't know have to know that. Because uh, otherwise, again, they, they get the condensation, condescending uh, attitude towards them or, you know, the whole thing about drug addicts and, and so forth. It's not good. It, and the whole stigma that goes with it, we got to get rid of it. 
when our son Rob, I'm, I'm Bob, he was Rob. When he died, our family decided we weren't going to hide. We put it right in the obituary, what happened. And then we took a full page ad out in the O'Calling Memorial on the back page. And we said, um, we love Plymouth. We love our town. And heroin's basically killing our town. And we want to take our town back. That's all we said. And what we did, enough people started understanding how difficult this was. And uh, he died in September. In February, we got had a meeting of the town, and over 100 people came to the Spire Center in, in Plymouth. And I said, look, we've got to raise 1000 bucks. We're going to need 100 people giving us $1,000 so we can open this recovery center. And we got it open July 1st that year. Wow. That's, that's the kind of support we got. Because people were finally saying, yeah, this is a big problem. There must be something behind it that makes it so difficult. And let's dig our uh, uh, heels in. Let's do something about it. I've seen a picture of the recovery center online, and it looks like a beautiful place. Um, it, it really I, I is. Give, given up an idea, how much square footage is there? Um, we, you know, we started out in the South Shore Community Action Council uh, that was out on Obery Street. And once... Uh, as I mentioned to other people in the past, we were the only private recovery center uh, supported by private donations for three years in the state. And, and then the state recognized what we were doing and they actually are funding it. Uh, and so at that point, we moved to bigger space downtown at five uh, Main Street Extension, right downtown Plymouth. And there's probably 3,000 square feet or so uh, down there. The whole thing that's nice about it is... Uh, the, the way the town received us and we got so many donations um, setting the space was just super with us. They got us donations of furniture or furniture that at a very low price. And what we wanted to do was create an atmosphere of acceptance and people of respect and digni dignity. So a lot of meetings are held in uh, other places, perhaps um, in dingy basements of churches and so forth. Not, not saying that's bad because that's what's available. We wanted to have a different setting when people came in saying that we value you. And this is what the town did by having all these donations and the furniture and the meeting spaces. And we have things going on there every day. Uh, during the day, there's uh, classes for people to come in that uh, want to do uh, things on self-support and just to support each other. Then we have Lots of groups coming in day and night and on the weekends, like AA and NA and um, people that learn, are parents learn, and so forth. Yeah, learn to cope. Learn to cope. I see. Learn to cope. Yeah. Yep. Is, um, is Five ex Main Street Extension, is that where the old post office used to be? It's across the street. So it's right above uh, Angelo's Roast Beef. <laughs> Maybe you might know Angelo's and is Domino's yeah. in that Domino's there? Uh, yeah, I think I think they are. I think they're in that yeah. same area on the first Little floor. And we're about, coffee yeah. shop in the corner. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm familiar yeah. with that. Okay. Sure. Yeah, that's a very good, you know, good location, especially the, so there yeah. seems to be lots of parking in the area, so you can find a way to get in and out. There's parking, um, but the main thing the state wants is they want uh, the ability of people just to walk in even, because, you know, there's people that are, are homeless. Uh, yeah, that, I know. And most of it yeah. is due to substance abuse and, and, and overuse and, now it gives them an opportunity to just walk there. But our, our biggest challenge still is, is getting that person that's using, but they still got their life together. They think, like my son did. Uh, they might be, they're called functioning and they're, they're working, they have families, but they're that far away from losing it all. Not only their life, but the, their job, their families and everything else. Those are the people that are the hardest to reach because they don't think they have a problem. Or they think they have a problem that they can handle themselves. So our goal is my, to get, mm -hmm. and so our goal son, is to get people into uh, that at nighttime that are working. My son always thought he was under control. Yes. and then, and he, but he actually did go to methadone, and his yeah. actual cause of death was acute overdose of methadone. Wow! Because he was on high doses of methadone, and they never reduced it. Yeah, and he wasn't getting blood tests or urine tests to see how much methadone was in his body, and he, he wow. just went. He went to sleep one night, planned on going fishing the next day, and never woke up. Same idea. That's so the way it like, works. 
yes, you know, the heart just stops because the brain stops. Yes. And, um, you know, that's the way it was. And also in the town of Plymouth. Um, um, tell me about that. I, saw, I was reading about all the different things that you do at the recovery center. Um, refuge recovery, which is the, the Buddhist orientated path to freedom from addiction. Um, I'm very interested in that because I'm, <clears throat> I'm a member of a Sangha group. And mm-hmm. we have we have a meditation group that that meets every week, and yep. and, I, and I find that for myself it gives you peace and quiet and it helps you get in touch with your inner self. And as you said, your son was saying that it was the the brain talking to him, you know. And right, um, um, how how does how does how do you find that works with the people that are going to it? That's one of the bigger groups. And again, um, our nonprofit, Plymouth Recovery Center, Inc., is the one that funds and raises the money for it. And we've actually hired, in the beginning, Gandaran Center, a nonprofit that runs recovery centers. So they're very well versed in it. And when the state got funded, they're the ones that actually get the funding and, and are in charge of the day-to-day that things that are running. And what the counselors have already always said is the best way to do it is to show many paths to recovery because uh, AA is one that works real well, but for some it doesn't. And that's where the refuge recovery is has been very well attended for quite a while. Uh, Learn to Cope is another one that's always well attended because that's something that brings parents together that have dealt with this problem with kids or whoever. And it gives them information because that's the other thing we try to use. Always try to say the recovery center is for is is for information as well uh, for the families, for support for the families and anyone else that's there. Oftentimes someone comes into this situation, they don't know what to do. And the thing that's nice about the recovery center, you can go down and get information and even to the point where we've had many people get placed into, um, you know, programs um, that are needed. And they, the programs uh, like Spectrum and some of the others know our recovery center and know that the counselors basically know what they're dealing with and they have a good relationship and they're able to put people into beds that um, perhaps they can't do so on themselves because they get discouraged. And, you know, they make calls, a few calls and the beds aren't available. They can come right into the recovery center and they can sit down with the counselor and they can make sure they get into a place. And so that's been very successful too. Well, that's very good. Now, the with yourself and your wife and others, you know, after your child dies, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of grief that we go through, and grief that we never get over totally. Right. Um, we just learn how to deal with. We call it the new normal. Um, yes. And and how did you? I could see that you handled it by 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 giving back and figuring out what to do with this whole program. And the whole family did. Yeah, they did. Yeah. I mean, we um, are, you know, my oldest daughter was, is on Plymouth Recovery Center Inc.'s board. Um, my wife was very supportive and involved throughout the whole thing. My youngest daughter actually ran the golf tournament that uh, we raised, you know, 75,000 bucks a year or so for a big part of what we did to fund the first three years. And uh, yeah, it was important for everyone to be involved in because it gave purpose in the way we talk about it. And I talk about it is, uh, you know, this has given purpose to Rob's life. You know, that he's, because of him, there's a lot of other people being saved. Not as many as what we want, but there are, I mean, the first day we opened, it was July 7th or so at 9 a.m. at the first location, the South Shore, Community Action Council, and at 9 a.m., there was a mom with her 17-year-old strung out at the door. We let him in, and he got into a, a bed within two hours. Wow. That's that's what you need. A lot of people just don't know what to do. And yes, that's where, right. that's where the, the Learn to Cope session, for those parents who might be listening and who have someone in their family under substance use disorder, um, go to a Learn to Cope meeting. They're all over the state. Uh, Joanne Peterson, who founded it, uh, I think yeah, she has she, 20, I think there's 23 locations right now. You yeah. can go to the Learn to Cope website and find a spot near you. Plus, 
Uh, a lot of the meetings are on Zoom. So if you didn't want to go to a, to an actual meeting, which I think you should, but if you don't, if you can't do that because you're in an area that's outside of the region and you want to do it on Zoom, uh, it's probably the best thing a parent could do. With uh, I, I was totally naive myself. I had no idea. I'd never been to a learn to cope meeting. I didn't. Oh, same here. Yes. I tried to walk it all by myself, and by that time, by as the last few years, my my son had burned so many bridges. There was no, no one left but me and, and yep. his girlfriend. And that was that was it. We were trying to make it work. And um, I was very naive, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I did not know what the future looked like. And if I had had any idea, I would have taken way more time to get involved and to learn the the end results of opioid, you know, and I would have known about Narcan. I never heard of Narcan until after right. it was too late. Yes. You know, so, yeah. No, I agree. And, it, and, you know, and it was my wife, uh, you know, her, her, our kid's mother uh, that was a rock throughout the whole thing. Every time he slipped, he, she was made sure immediately she reacted to that and got him into a place where, she, you know, he could have a chance. Because, um, again, I'm, I was like you. I didn't know. I, I'd like to be I had my own business. I like to be in think you're in control of things and in this case you're not and but so she never wavered very important um it's such a you probably know it's such a delicate balance is when does support become enabling so you have to be careful of that but at the same time they've got to know that there's a place and people that they can come back to it has to be yeah, my son never he never wanted to go to a place because he didn't want to deal with being dope sick. Mm. He'd done that two or three times and just because he ran out of the drugs and yes. he became dope sick. And for those that don't know, that's the best way he described it was it was 10 times worse than the flu would yeah. be at its worst point, you know, because you're just sick and growing up and you're sweating and everything yep. for three, three, four, five days, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and I have to say more, I've, what I've learned too, from the people, uh, Gandera said, who runs the recovery center is alcohol can be worse. I mean, that, that sickness of, of staying away, abs abstinence and going through the whole sober treatment. And that can be even worse on the body even though, you know, it's, uh, the opioids might be real difficult and they're both really difficult to get over. And unfortunately what we found, it was the alcohol that our son thought he could go back to eventually and just drink socially. And his friends were, uh, and then that always led to drugs. That's the way it is. So unfortunately our country kind of glorifies alcohol consumption, you know, for people that are in control of it, Myself, I, I'll have a glass of wine a night, but we have to be very cognizant that there's a part of our population that has no control over that. And the commercials and everything else, society, uh, business meetings, parties, whatever, um, always talking about, let's go out and have a drink. I mean, that's another thing we have to, I think, address at some point, too. I, I totally agree. I mean, the Super Bowl will be this Sunday and yep. there'll be Budweiser and and um, the other beer companies, you know, Coors and Miller and so forth, will be doing spending seven million dollars to for a one minute commercial, and mm -hmm. uh, and it's widely accepted. Yes, it and, is. And I hate to say it, but I mean, um, I have an addiction problem, and I'm like thirty five years recovery from gambling, mm -hmm. and and my gambling addiction I know is so bad that. If I watch the World Series of Poker on television, um, I can start sweating just watching it because I can't wait to get into the on the. I want to be on that table, you know. Wow. And and so I have to stay totally away from it. Now, I watch the basketball game on ESPN, and at halftime they're given odds. I know which team. You know, oh, it's seven point spread, and yeah, if you take this team or that team or the over or the under. And all this, it's, it's in front of me constantly. And yes. before you had to find a bookie who would take your bets between 7 and 7.30, you know. It's like, now, now it's legal. Yeah, yeah now, now it's all legal became, and it's yeah, it's craziness. You know, I, I just mm -hmm. can't, I can't deal with it. You know, it's like 
So it, it, it ruins regular sports for me because I'm a big Celtics fan and I yeah and and I watch basketball a lot and I watch Syracuse and Boston College and I'm like the last thing I want to see is is lines you know and I mean lines meaning points spreads, yes you know well, BC and, already got in trouble in that about 25 30 years ago as you remember too yeah it was Some, a big uh, big deal then big scandal. Now it's, yeah yeah and now now it's everywhere I mean you know. Um, Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame now, because yes, he didn't do anything that that's not legal today. You know, so that's as true. Far as I could see, so what's what's the point? You know, yeah. But um, that's with the same thing though. My endorphins, where that's how you get that adrenaline high mm-hmm. when, you, when you win, and you know, and and um, mine started at Marshfield Fair. I oh. bet two. I, I bet two dollars on a horse to show when I was like twelve years old, and the horse went around twice, was dead last, and came in and and finished first, and paid wow. two dollars two dollars and twenty cents because <laughs> <laughs> I only bet it to show, and yes. the, that that twenty cents and that rush of seeing the horse crossing the finish line first was all it took, you know, and then mm-hmm. the rest was history for until I was in my mid twenties. So yeah. and and I get it. So I understand why people have you know. And now with the opioids and heroin, it's it's sucking the brain so bad chemically. Yes. You know, the, the the um, I think the gambling it happens chemically, but it's it's a little different. There's no there's no drug involved. Actual involved drug. Yeah, in the bloodstream yeah. and in and in the brain. Yes. Uh, yeah. Once you walk away from it, it's you're not going to have a reaction. To it you know yeah where with, with opioids you're always going to have a reaction and it's just calling out for you to just keep it going mm-hmm. and, and again the that's biggest what, de- biggest deception is that you think you can manage it right and that's why it's so important uh that what learn to cope's doing and other people are doing to make people more aware because you you have to understand that if someone says they're going to do something they're not going to do something in their they're under the influence it's not them talking and you can't believe yeah. them. You just can't believe them. Yeah. Um, and so this, that's the only way that they can understand how this all works and make sure they keep pushing. And that, that if they, if they could try to go back and have a drink just once, no, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it because it's not going to work. You know, so everyone else has to be just as steadfast with it. But these are all the things, like you said, we're learning now. Um, and yeah, you know, the most important thing is we have to let the next generation know there's a huge line in the sand here. There's a huge Grand Canyon is the way I put it. You're on one side, the drug should be on the other. There's no way you can just use it once. And there's, there's going to be some of you might be able to do it, but there's going to be some that won't. You get So our message has to be absolutely no to the, that next generation. But at the same time. We can't give up on the people that are impacted now. We have to keep fighting for that. And we have to understand what's behind it and then understand what's needed to go forward and what the challenge is. It's a war. We're at war with this. And uh, we have to treat it just like that. I I agree. And for those with the alcohol, I'm a a big uh, opponent. I mean, a person who agrees that AA is one of the better forms because you can do it every day. So you can yes. do one one day at a time kind of thing, and I think that's, that's the whole point of with NA too. It, it's yeah. or any of these recovery things. I mean, it's 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 what happened. Nice a nice way to put the recovery center too is one of the counselors told me at one point used an analogy. Uh, there was a man out in the in the wilderness or on a road. He fell into a big pit. He couldn't get out. No matter what he did, he couldn't climb out. There was no way to get a, a, a handhold. He couldn't get out and he's yelling and screaming and a priest came by and the priest looked down and said, what's wrong? He said, well, I'm in this hole and I can't get out. Can you help me? He said, sure. He said, gave him some rosary. He threw some rosary beads and a Bible down. Just pray about it. And the guy did that and he did the rosary beads and he prayed about it for a few days, but he still couldn't get out of the hole. But he felt a little better, but he was still in the hole. So again, he's screaming and, and, and a doctor comes by. And he goes, hey, can you help me get out of this hole? He says, yeah, here's some pills. He threw some hills, pills in the in the hole. And he took the pills. He felt a little better, but he, he's still in the hole. And I'm still here. So the, finally, he's yelling again. And this 
just regular guys walking by. And he says, hey, can you help me get out of the hole? He says, sure. He jumps down in the hole. And he says, what are you doing? How are we going to get out of here? He says, I've been in this hole before, and I know how to get out. That's <laughs> peer-to-peer recovery. Yeah, that's, that's the very whole good. essence of it. Yes, it's a whole essence of it. You know, they when you're talking with a peer, they're not going to believe your BS. They know. They've been there. They know what it takes. They know how difficult it is. They're there to give the support. And as I mentioned before, when they do this, it helps their own recovery, too, because it gives them purpose. The whole, the whole point is anyone that's gone through this, you've got to get rid of anything that's triggered you before to, to use. Most of the time, they can't go back and live or see the friends or do the work that they did before. For some, they have to say, this is so serious, because it is. It's life or death that they've got to completely change everything. And part of that, again, too, is what you say with NA, uh, AA, is it's always one day at a time. If you look at the big problem, it's too much. But if you can ha- handle this day, that's the way you can do it. Yeah, you have to break away from those relationships that you had before mm-hmm. who you were using with. And your yes. dealers and the, your your dealer's phone number and everything that's in your phone and yeah I, I used to, I used to talk to the young men who got sectioned and yes. over at, over at Bridgewater and I was like I did once a week I'd go and chat with them and we would talk about um, you know you need to cut the ties you need to get rid of that cell phone that has all those phone numbers in it go in and yes. start deleting them all deleting them. If you're mm-hmm. really serious, if you're really serious and you want to move forward, otherwise. If, if you want to save your life, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used to tell them, I used to say, look, you have a choice. I said, you're going to be in an urn on your mother's mantle. Yep. And she's going to cry every time she walks by it. Or you're going to be sitting at Fenway Park eating a hot dog and drinking a water or something, watching right. Big Poppy swing in the bat. You know, you, you yep. can decide which way would you like to go, you know. And that's the thing that when you mentioned that, that there was a time when, you know, Rob was sober a couple of years and we went into the Fenway Park. We're sitting there and he goes to me, he says, you know, we haven't been able to do this in a long time. This this I'm, he was living again. Yeah. And it was it was a half year later that he he went back to using that one time and he died. So, again, even then, you know, they have to understand how difficult it is. And, and it's a long term thing. You can never, never slip once not once no and i've I've heard that so many times and uh, the biggest thing is the body is not accustomed to it anymore like it was when they were mm-hmm. active and that one time and especially today you don't know with you fentanyl fentanyl, fentanyl in it or that's not, the big you, deal deal changer right there because even if in your true in your right they're not used to the same heroin amount but you throw the fentanyl in, which is what killed my son, um, and it's involved in seventy percent or more of the, uh, you know, the deaths. That's a big game changer right there. They don't know, uh, they don't know what's in there, or or someone taking a pill. I mean, the, people think they're taking a pain pill. It's got fentanyl in there. Yeah, that's, unless, you just can't. Unless just your can't drug dealer it. is a chemist, you know, you, you yes. know, have no idea what what they did or how the, all these pills got here and. Whether right. they came from China or they were stamped in some guy's basement in San, in Las Vegas or something, you know, they mm-hmm. came from they've come from all, all different directions. Yes. Um, while this <clears throat> while we're mentioning it, I want to bring up a bill that I have at the house, and uh, it's a bill called the Right to Know Act, mm-hmm. and we tried to get it passed in the last session, but now it's in the new session, and the Right to Know Act is the means that. If you're 18 years or younger and you get a prescription from a doctor or a hospital or a dentist or anyone in the hospital, your parent has to sign off on it. And the parent has to be advised that this is a highly addictive narcotic. And the parent has to agree to, um, to signing off on it with the doctor. And the doctor also has to agree that they've tried alternatives before, before offering an opioid. Mm-hmm. And... We got it out of the House. We got it out of the first committee and we got it to appropriations, but then they just never voted on it. And I just want to share that with our listeners so that this is going to come up for a vote and we're going to need a lot of support from people around the state to call their local 
state rep or a senator so we can get it done. And, yes, um, I know our state rep, Matthew Muratori, has been extremely supportive of all our efforts. It was really helpful in making sure that the state uh, knew about what the need was for the recovery center. Uh, he'd be a, a good one to contact, um, you know, with that. Uh, you know, and before uh, state senator, um, Vinnie DiMasita was involved at the time too. Um, so he's out of office now. He has a private position, yeah. but, but uh, yeah, the, the, most of these people would be. Well, we have educate them. Educate. Yeah, educate oh, yeah, them. I do. I'm going to get my chance mm -hmm. to get up and talk. And the reason why is because when my son was given the prescription for the first, I mean, in the day it was 1995. They didn't give him three pills or three days worth. They gave him 30 days worth and they wow. gave him a hundred, a hundred oxycodones at 10 milligrams and said, take two or three a day as necessary. And, and the naive parent being me went down to CBS and filled the prescription. Wow. And not, not knowing what I was doing, you know? And mm -hmm. so I think this is the kind of thing that we need to educate parents because unfortunately people don't know anything about opioids until it's too late. Yeah. And it, what complicates it is it's, you know, we all know the background of how Purdue Pharma tried to promote it as being non-addictive and so forth. But you talk to surgeons and so forth that are doing knee replacements and they, they do need some kind of painkillers. And so I, I know they did a lot of reform over the last few years as far as how much they can do and how they have to look over what they're prescribing and so forth. And that's a good step. Uh, but that's that's the quandary. That's what we're facing. Is and that's why it's so important to have people. And I think this is important around you that doesn't let yourself get away with it. You know. Yeah. And, yeah. Absolutely. I, By the way, the number on our bill is HD, like like um, Hoover Dog, three one four seven, and that's that's the number on it. And Representative Fioli. And Josh Cutler are the two signees. Oh, good, and, super. Um, and Kathy Lanatra is yes. another one. And it's her yes. and um, and the gentleman from uh, from Marshfield, whose name escapes me right now, but um, mm -hmm. um, Cantwell, Representative oh, sure. Cantwell. So yeah, and the new mayor of Brockton's the biggest ad person we have in favor of it is Maura Healy. Oh, that's super. So yeah, Maura Healy's and I. I'm at the point where we're hoping that if it doesn't go up for a vote, that she'll sign an executive order and put it in because mm -hmm. it's already been passed in 18 other states. And the states that have passed it have had a considerable drop in teenage addiction problems with opioids because mm -hmm. uh, the, the biggest culprit is when seems like uh, kids 16, 17 getting their wisdom teeth out. Right. And doctors quick to prescribe Vicodin or Percocets to those kids. And yes. that's 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 something that's got to be looked at. And it's really mm -hmm. not in other countries. It doesn't happen. They get their wisdom teeth out. And they they call ibuprofen and ice. Yes. Know? Yes, exactly. And it's only a bad. It's only tough for one day anyway. After one or two days, things are fine. And that's uh, the problem that with, with what Purdue Pharma started was, um, you know, this whole thing about pain and uh, pain levels and so forth. And yeah, it, it is needed after surgery or, or, or cancer treatments and so forth. But people don't have to be medicated to the point where they don't feel pain or don't know what's going on. And that's what was happening. Yeah. And, and um, I would rather if, I know I had back surgery, I took one oxycodone, you know, so I could sleep one night and that was it. I didn't take them rest the rest of the time because I said, I want to feel it. I want to, I want to be, feeling okay enough so I can sleep, but I don't care if there's discomfort because at least that's telling me what's going on. I don't want to be out of it. You know, so I think that's the other part of it too, is uh, helping us to be more careful of how we use that and doctors, well, the, how they prescribe it. Unfortunately, the hospitals are, are quick to give you, they, they're quick to give you those pills so they can get you out of the hospital and get that bed sold to the next person. Mm. And and I think that's a big part of the it's the insurance companies. Everything is kind of a whole. Oh, yeah. Yes, the insurance companies thing. that want them out. Yeah, that's true. You know, they don't want to pay. So let's give them what they need to do to get them out the door. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, 
because I've had multiple surgeries. I play sports and I'm, I'm kind of a kamikaze guy to my own body. And so I, um, uh, only old people know what that term means. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> you know, so, um, but um, I've had lots of surgeries and in my last knee, knee replacement. You know, I, I had a doctor in Plymouth, Dr. Zabilski, who a lot of people know from the South Shore. And yep. uh, we had an agreement, you know, in, in Tylenol, uh, the super liquid Tylenol was, was all I took with the mm-hmm. ice. And yep. within 48 hours, I was fine and walking up and down steps. So, yeah, super. Yep. you know, it actually helped me heal faster by yes. sucking it up, you know. And yeah. Um, and so that was um, it can be done. I know mm-hmm. you have to have a, a little strong frame of mind because it is painful. And I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would have definitely liked to have had something to numb me up a little bit. But um I just lied on the couch and watched West Coast basketball. That was it. You know? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> yeah. So when I eventually fell asleep, but yes. uh, it, it, you can do it. But um, yeah, to, but to your point with the bill, I think that's very important. And I'd be more than happy to get the word out on that too through our connections with the recovery center and so forth. And, uh, and I know uh, Matthew Muratori would be big supporter of that. Uh, he was helping us with the recovery center as was uh, in former state Senate president, uh, Therese Murray. Uh, so I'm sure she'd be able to get lend a hand with that too. That'd be good. And if you're listening and you're, you live in the North shore or you live in the Western suburbs, um, give a call to your local rep and tell them you believe in HD 3147. You'd like to see it get passed. And mm-hmm. so when it comes out of committee, I'm not even sure it hasn't even been assigned to a committee yet because they just put it in a couple of weeks ago and have to start through the process all over again. Every two years, if it doesn't, if it doesn't come to a vote, then it has to be done over again. And in yes. the meantime, <clears throat> People 17 years old are getting prescriptions for Percocets to get a wisdom tooth out, which is a, um, at least they've cut the number down. Mm-hmm. But if somebody's suffering from depression or they've got that that part of their body going and all of a sudden somebody gives them a Percocet and they say, whoa, this is, you know, and their endorphins, as you said, you said the go up yep. to 700, you know. And if they've been hanging in the 100 category, they can yeah. get a, get a rush that they never felt before, and that could be the beginning of the end. It's, it yeah. is, and it only takes a few weeks sometimes, and it's a good percentage of people once they've been taken for a few weeks, it's at least 20%, you know, have a good chance of being addicted. So that's not good odds. No. So um, going back to the grief thing, does, do you go any any day where you do not think of Rob? Um, very seldom. I mean, you know, he would have been 36 today and, um, we were starting to do things together. I mean, that's the time when you really appreciate, you know, uh, having those connections, you know, my daughters have grandkids. Those are grandkids we never had. Rob would have been a great father. And there's a hole in your heart that I tell people that never goes away. And that's right. That, it really doesn't. And all you can do is keep moving forward, like you said. But um, it, it is life changing. And every, anytime you go out and join something, you, you think about, oh, he, he could have been here. Um, yeah, that never, that never changes. And it's always there. Yeah, every time something happens, like my son was a big time football player. And every time that um, the Patriots won the Super Bowl, you know, it comes, you know, they won, or Tom Brady should, I should say, won the Super Bowl three times <laughs> and the Patriots twice. And, right. and uh, um, you know, that, that would have been a big moment of excitement for him, you know, and he missed it. You know, he mm-hmm. missed the last three uh, Super Bowls. And that's, that you can't, it kind of ruins it for the, for, for me, you yep. know, to watch, say, wow, everybody's happy and excited and my son's missing it. And that's something and the other, that the other people just don't understand. And, and people, the individuals that are using it, they, you know, um, how does it impact other people? I mean, he had a, a young woman that they were 
they had already made plans to come down to Florida with us. We spend the winters down here. And he already said, yeah, they're, they're going to come down. He was going to propose to her. Now, she was the one that got up in the, in the morning and discovered him on the couch, blue, talking about trauma and, you know, what impact that not only grief, but that whole thing of going through that terror of dealing with that. Um, that's with her for a long time. Luckily, she's been able to move on and has gotten married and has a child now. Um, but people have to understand how it impacts not just them, but everybody else to around them. And that's the other thing we, I stress, and I know I stress at the recovery center when I go in and they have meetings and I make sure everyone knows how much they're valued in this community. And the recovery center is a result of why that value that they put on their lives. And you got to start thinking about it individually that way too. It's not just you going through it. It's, it's a whole family and a whole community that's around you. Yeah, and it's not just one person. You know, they say 700,000 people have died by opioid overdoses, but but that means 700,000 families. And I just right do the, do the numbers just in Massachusetts. In the last two years, we've had 4,000 deaths, opioid deaths. And so that means 4,000 parents, 4,000 mothers, 4,000 dads, and yep. I don't know how, and who knows how many siblings. Mm -hmm. And- and children. I mean, I uh, they have a vigil in Brockton every year. And when I went to it in 2015 or 2016, we had a slideshow and we showed the pictures of the people who had died that year or recently. And there mm -hmm. were 26, 26 pictures. And I went last year to show the and the pictures. There were 425 pictures. I mean just in the greater Brockton South shore area that mm. they put up. And that wasn't even close to everybody. And, uh, and I, I read off each name because I had it on this show. We were doing the vigil from on the radio and mm -hmm. people couldn't see the pictures. So I read the names and I, I just couldn't believe how many, how many there were and how many, how local and everything. And, and if people could look at these kids and see what they look like, you know, they're the boy next door, the girl next door. Absolutely. And they're know, not and all kids. Some of them in their thirties, forties, fifties. Oh uh, yeah. And that's what I tell this, this whole stigma thing. And people will give lip service to that, but and then they still will talk about drug addicts, uh, you know, doing this and doing that. And I said, wait, wait a minute. No, that could be your kid. It could be your cousin. It could be your mother. It could be a neighbor. You, it's very important what you're doing is putting a face to it because then they start understanding, hey, yeah, this isn't a separate, uh, lower level class of people. This is everyone that can be impacted. Oh, yeah. And and I, what I, one of the things that I've seen in the, in the grief groups is that most of the time the person who got addicted is was the life of the party, was the yep. person that was one of, they weren't an average student, they were above average students. They were the top in the classes, a lot of mm -hmm. them. And so it's, it's seems to be a, a pattern, you know, and, and, and great number of them were star athletes. That, that's mm -hmm. another, another big sign was star athletes, you know, and they, um, and, and maybe because they were risk takers, they ended up getting more injuries and they ended up getting introduced to opioids. It's kind of a, yep kind of a scale thing and there's yep. an illusion illusion that that um a large number of them get addicted from being at parties um statistics say 80 percent got addicted because they got a prescription from a doctor yeah and, and that's the reality yes after they got the prescription and they ran out they went start searching for more mm -hmm. and then the parties became helpful and they, and they were out of control at that point but and, doesn't, yeah. and I try to tell people, it doesn't matter if people get into it uh, by partying or looking for a high or they uh, get hurt or they you know, had the surgery. In the end, it, they all come to that same place, the ones that are addicted. And you can't make those kind of judgments why they're there. We've got to do something. We've got to help them. We've got to treat them. It's like if someone comes shows up at the hospital with a heart attack, we're not going to say, no, you can't come in because you've 
had a heart attack last year. You know, yeah, and that's what you hear is, well, we give you enough chances already. You haven't. No, we got to give them chances plus one all the time. You know, Absolutely. and understand how difficult it is, and we we can't get into that kind of attitude that no, this disease isn't uh, you know as important as some of these others because you had something to do with it, you brought it on yourself. That stigma is still out there, and we have to present the other side and show them the facts of what really happens in someone, and that it could be anyone that's going to be impacted that way. Yeah, abs- absolutely, and. And again, this uh, you talk about stigma. The parents who have lost a child suffer from the stigma as well. They say, "Oh, you know, they think people are talking behind their back." You know, "Oh, that you know, you're the parent of the son or a daughter who is the drug addict." You know. Yes. You know. You know. You should have had more Sunday dinners. You know. Right. I, me- I remember being at Memorial Hall and some guy saying that the problem with the opioid epidemic is the families are disjointed and and have lost them. Have, uh, have lost their way, you mm. know, it doesn't help, but at the same time, that's not the reason why they're addicted. You know, right. they're, they're addicted because the drug s- steals the brain. And that's I, the biggest that's part. Exactly. That's a good way of putting it. And I still have people that uh, will confide in me because they know what, you know, we went through and what we're trying to do. They won't tell their neighbors that they've got a son or a daughter that are going through it. I've had professional people talk to me and, and, they're afraid of letting anyone know, uh, and that's wrong. That that's got to be just the opposite. People get. We have to come to a point in our society. Says, yeah, we understand that problem. We're here to help you, and and you shouldn't feel bad because uh, you know you're going through this with him or her. If your child had leukemia or liver disease or kidney disease, you wouldn't keep that a secret, right? You know, it's the same kind of disease. It's a just except for it's the disease of the brain. Yes. You know, and, uh, and, I, and I know sometimes addiction, uh, some people just can't handle it anymore and, de- and decide to commit suicide. And I was listening to um, the president the other night and the suicides in the, with the veterans is down to, is, I hate to say down to, down to 17 a day, mm. 21 a day. And uh, I would bet that 80% of them have an opioid addiction from getting drugs from having um, things in the service. And, and they, right. they could use a place like yours because they, they don't feel like they're worth anything anymore. They've mm-hmm. lost their sense of purpose. And yes. um, that's, that's one of the big things we have to reach out to the veterans, especially that I have that kind of a problem. Um Absolutely. Um, yeah. After our show is over, we have another show called Veterans Voice, where we try to get veterans to do help them out with different uh, programs that they may not be aware of. You know, on, on in your facility, do you have a you have a groups for uh, grief sessions? They've had them in the past. I don't believe they're holding them there now. Uh, but when we were at Social Community Action Council, we had, uh, you know, them come in and do that. But I believe they ended up going to their own uh, sessions, uh, work uh, in homes and so forth. Um, but at one point, we had a couple of different ones coming in that way. Okay, because uh, I know that um, Hope floats over in Kingston. Mm-hmm. Is is there was where they have a lot of the grief sessions. Mm-hmm. I did, didn't know because Plymouth has been hit pretty hard over the years. Yes, lots of parents, you know. So I would think that that would be something that you would have in the recovery center. But if you want to focus focus strictly on the recovery part of it, you know, and, yeah. and staying sober, that's that's also no, the part of but the that's plan. Not, that's not the case. We we invited them before. We welcomed them before. And if someone else wanted to come in and do that, I'm sure it you know, could be arranged. But at, at the point, they were doing it for a year or so, and then they decided to go someplace else. Nice. Their decision. Yep. Okay. So, Bob, before we run out of time, um, what have we – what have I not asked you and what, what have we not covered that you'd like to get out to the listeners? I think the main thing, number one, is know that there's a place in Plymouth, and it's not just for Plymouth, but the whole greater Plymouth area that they can come. Anyone can come 
that has a need for further information. So we look at it as a resource center as well for anyone that's not even involved in themselves being addicted, but anyone impacted at all. That's number one. Number two, letting people that are impacted, that are addicted know there's a place and they can come and feel accepted and get help and that it's going to be ongoing. It doesn't cost anything. I didn't mention that. It's totally free. Um, and that there's tons of things available to them. I mean, even the community donates clothes there all the time because they know some people might be trying to get jobs and they need something for an interview or, or something to wear when they go to work. So they have that. We have uh, people, there's scholarships available for people that need to get help to get into a sober home the first month, that type of a thing. So a lot of different things available for those that are impacted directly, those that are going through it themselves, but also their family and loved ones too. And so look at it as a resource center in many different ways. So it's always man during the day? Or yes. Woman? It's, There's always yes, a man or a woman in charge? Yeah, yeah, and there's usually four or five people there. Um, you know, the staff, we have staff that work in the, uh, in the in the jail that are working with people that are getting out, so they know they have a place to come and get support. Uh, but there's usually four or five on, on staff, and then there's volunteers in there all the time. Active um, meetings during the day, active one-on-ones, um, a, lo- a lot of things that are available. Yeah, that's a big thing with the House of Correction, because guys that are coming out of there that they 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 need help to figure out where to live. I think where to live is a bigger problem than where to work today. Right. There, there's so many companies that are anxious. They'll overlook the fact that as long as they've done their time and they're and they're they're on the right path, you know, they'll hire them. But the problem is passing a Corey test um, to get housing is is a real problem, and they they need mm-hmm. to waive waive that as much as possible so you can find because if a prisoner doesn't have a doesn't have a, a place to live, you know, go all right of a sudden, in. Yep. yeah, I was going to say all of a sudden you get three meals every day in prison and yep. you got a roof over your head, you know, as long as you keep your nose clean, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's, it's a place to live. And uh, I talked to prisoners who have told me that, that they can't make it in the outside world. So this is what they do. And they'd like to be in the outside world, but mm. they, it's just, it's too difficult. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. harder to be outside than inside. Yes. So, and um, it costs a hundred thousand dollars a year to keep somebody in prison in Massachusetts. Wow. So, so there's a lot of money there that's being spent. You know, mm-hmm. um, one 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 last question for you. And you say the states helping you pay for this. Um, have you gone after any of the opioid money from the drug companies that have had to pay m- millions of dollars to the state? We no, we didn't. Um, most again, what we did is we went in the community itself, and we were supported by our own community when we were funding it totally with private donations. Um, and then after that, the state, in effect, is receiving a lot of that money. And you know, and we are supported as well as probably fifteen to eighteen other recovery centers around Massachusetts now, because the state understands the value in them. It, you know, I know we get about four hundred thousand dollars a year. Um, you know, to pay staff and pay pay the rent and pay all those expenses. Um, and so we have never had to go out and get some of that money, but perhaps I don't know where the money's going that's going to the state. It might be coming through that way. Okay. Well, there's millions of dollars and they, they, they actually sent it out to a lot of the towns. In fact, mm-hmm. all the towns got an allotment and you have to go after that money. You know, if it's some, some towns, the money's, they're not doing anything with it. It's just sitting there. But um, anybody who's anybody who's listening who would like to do a program in their area, uh, go to your town and see how what they're doing with that with that money because it's supposed to be used only for recovery or for something to do with the opioid epidemic, and that's that's the plan with that money. So mm. make good, good use of it. Yes. Well, Bob, I want to thank you for taking your time from your busy work day. I know your sure. busy work day in Naples is not so bad as when. When the day is over, you can go outside and eat on the deck. You know, exactly. And go to the window. pool. <laughs> <laughs> not quite that option we have up here, but we're not having much of a winter in this year either. We've had maybe six, seven inches of snow total for the whole year. Which, and that was only about an inch at a time, you know, or a dusting right. at a time, totaling up to it. But we really want to thank you. And I really want a special thank you for everything that you're doing um, in 
Plymouth County and the surrounding area and and helping people get their lives straight, keeping them straight. And, you know, it's unfortunate that your son had passed away. My son passed away. And and um, they say that, you know, grief doesn't get any smaller. It's just the container that it's in gets a little bigger. Sure. So we're able to manage, you know. But And, what, what, uh, and we, we have to do anything we can to make their lives count. And that's what you're doing. That's what our family is attempting to do. Right. And then the name of our show is the Courage to Hope. Mm. And you've definitely given a lot of people a lot of hope. And at the same time, you've had the courage to start this whole process by, you know, with your family. That's a big deal. That's a big undertaking, you know, that you have the knowledge and the knew what to do and the resources with the first location and then expanding it now into the second location. So, well, again, thanks a lot. And this week we've been speaking to Bob Hollis. Mostly, mostly from Plymouth, sometimes from Naples. Right. And, uh, yeah. And um, this is uh, Tony LaGreca, and this is The Courage to Hope. And I appreciate your time, and we'll talk Thank to you, you. soon. Bye-bye. Good to meet you, Tony. Bye-bye. Likewise. Bye-bye.